the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What's up with Barack? Yeah, you heard the story last week when his uh, private chef, Tafari Campbell, drowned while paddleboarding on a pond near his mansion at uh, Martha's Vineyard. A lot of questions there about why he was out there paddleboarding that night, uh, why he drowned, went on most of the pond. The water's only, I guess, uh, three or four feet deep. First they said he couldn't swim. Then somebody found footage on his Facebook page of him swimming pretty well. On the official logs uh, where the 9-11 call was placed, there's a blank space for the reason of the call. The only call that night where that space was left blank. Now, they haven't identified who made the 9-11 call, and we still don't know who was with Campbell when he drowned. Then over the weekend, some pictures of Barack playing golf showed up. He has a black eye, and his fingers are bandaged. Maybe that's not related at all, but it has people wondering, and why wouldn't the Obamas explain where they were when their chef drowned, and maybe they'd even explain the, the taped fingers and the black eye. Of course, the problem is nobody believes anything anymore, and everybody assumes that every story about every famous person, especially the ones in government, are being covered up. Nobody is seriously suggesting any foul play here, I don't think, but when the story changes as often as the story about the cocaine in the White House, remember that, and this one has changed, you really can't blame people for wondering what's not being reported. And in both cases, something is not being reported. And it's probably safe to say that if the same thing had happened to Donald Trump's personal chef, the media would be a lot more interested. But, hey, that's the world we live in. Speaking of the media, when we come back, the big guy did a Friday night news dump to acknowledge the existence of his seventh grandchild. And the media outlet that had the exclusive statement from the Bidens did a good job of making Joe look like Grandpa of the Year. We'll talk about that. In our second half hour, a stadium has become a political football down there in D.C., and politicians are tripping over themselves trying to steal taxpayers' money to pay for it. Stick around. Well, Grandpa Joe loves those grandkids, doesn't he? And uh, now that uh, that includes the inconvenient, embarrassing one, number seven, Navy, Joe finally acknowledged her existence with a Friday news dump, and People Magazine reacted with a perfect example of how the media loved Joe even more than he loves his grandkids. Evita Duffy Alfonso of The Federalist noticed. She joins us now. Evita, good to have you back on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, People bragged, People Magazine, I mean, uh, that they had an exclusive on this story. What did they do with it? It was kind of ridiculous. You know, in journalism world, when you get an exclusive, it's usually not just a generic press release. You have some real quotes or, or a sit-down interview with somebody important. This is just a press release that the White House sent to People magazine, basically to say, yes, Joe Biden finally acknowledges his four-year-old granddaughter, Navy Roberts, who could be Navy Biden, except for Hunter tried to stop her from taking the Biden last name. But essentially, it's just a, a, a PR moment for the Biden, for the for Biden and, and uh, 
and his wife because they've been getting so much heat from Democrats and Republicans because people aren't comfortable with the way that he's essentially disowned this little girl who's done nothing wrong. Yeah, so this this is being portrayed, I guess, uh, as as Joe just showing his his love for Hunter again. That's why he waited until now to acknowledge this four year old girl who's his granddaughter. Exactly, and and this so this what I noticed is People Magazine they 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 did this PR statement right, but then they also altered this article that they wrote about Biden's grandchildren. It was titled something like Meet Biden's Seven Grandchildren. And they refuse to name Navy Roberts. She's, her name is, shows up nowhere in the piece. They basically say a child that Hunter had with a random woman confirmed through a paternity test. And these really sort of two curt paragraphs. But then they go on gushing about the other Biden children. So they treated her really poorly initially. And then after this press release came out, then they went back and altered the original story and included Navy, Navy Roberts in it. So what's interesting is you look at what the what the corporate media has done with Navy when Biden didn't want to acknowledge her, right? They they treated her like dirt. They wouldn't name her in articles. They accepted that the Biden that Biden and Jill were not going to acknowledge her and didn't push back on it at all. And then suddenly when Biden says, Okay, now I'm ready after four years to acknowledge my granddaughter, then the corporate media is now going to acknowledge her as well. And it's just such a symbol of how we literally are are living under state run media. This is not honest at all. Any person who is a Democrat or Republican sees the way that he's treated that little girl and would say, this is wrong. It doesn't matter who you are, what political party you're at. This is wrong. And they don't do that because, like I said, this is state run media. This actually sounds and looks like something that Fidel Castro might have done or, or Hugo Chavez. Somebody in a in a, a communist country, where the media they just wait until the uh, their leader tells them how this story is going to be portrayed, and then they do their bidding. Right. I mean, it's it, it's actually very Orwellian, in my opinion, because they they go back and they change the record too. So initially, it's it's. You know, we don't acknowledge Navy Roberts, but now we're going to acknowledge it. So we're going to go back and actually alter this original story in the way we were portraying this issue. So it's it's very Orwellian. It's it's super Ministry of Truth esque, right? And that's that's actually been a hallmark of this administration. They did that with um, tons of of uh, social media companies. We, if you look at this new this new case, Missouri v. Biden, where they go over all of this listicle of ways the administration has collaborated with Facebook, Twitter, um, YouTube to say, hey, take this down, censor this person, get rid of this, deplatform this company or this person. That, that is a hallmark of this administration. They partner with social media companies um, and with the media to, to twist truth and make sure that things are always copacetic with their narrative. And, it, and it's not a small thing, I don't think, anyway, um, because the treatment of or mistreatment of the granddaughter, uh, and maybe it's, it shouldn't be a big deal to some people. I, I think it's kind of a big deal. But when you have his number one opponent being constantly trashed for his personality deficits and being a you know a a, 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 a sexual assaulter and a rapist and just a bad guy. And then making it uh, sh- showing so much enthusiasm 
for portraying Joe Biden as just the opposite, as just a wonderful family man. They're still trying to sell that, aren't they? Totally. And that's why they've had to come out with this PR statement, right? Because Biden's whole persona is, I'm, I'm a really nice man. I'm a family man. I'm going to bring the country together, right? That's his, that's his, that's his campaign stick. And this Navy Roberts story has been totally detrimental to, to his image. And so now he's, the poll numbers aren't looking great. Their appro- approval ratings are in the tank. And he sees, okay, I, I have to actually step in and fix this and make people realize that I'm what, like that I acknowledge my granddaughter, but also so that the media can stop saying I haven't acknowledged her because he hasn't said, I'm going to go meet Navy Roberts. I'm going to play a role in her life. I'm going to let her take the Biden last name. He hasn't said any of that. What he said is I acknowledge her. So the status quo is going to continue. And he's just going to say now no one can say I haven't acknowledged her. And really if he cared about his, his granddaughter and he really wanted to build a relationship with her and this, wasn't about um, poll numbers and approval ratings, he would have gone to her, mm-hmm. not to People Magazine. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, and again, I don't think it's a small thing because it's a huge image thing with a, a comparison and, a, and, a con- and, and contrasting it with, with the guy that he's probably going to be running against. Um, so what do you think, uh, Avita? Uh, I'll, I'll ask you, six or seven stockings up on the uh, fireplace at the White House this Christmas. It's not that far off. No, I mean, the, the, the sad reality is it's going to be six. I mean, he doesn't, he does not care about this little girl. He has not made any move to have be a part of her life. Um, and like I said, this is not her fault. This is the, the mistakes of Hunter Biden not taking responsibility for, for his daughter. And Joe Biden has gone along with that. If you're, if you're a good, if you're a good father, if you're somebody who really uh, wants what's best for your children and your grandchildren, he would see the mistakes of Hunter and say, despite that, I'm going to love my grandchild i'm going to do what's best for her because my son is failing to do that and instead he's, he's enabling hunter and actually uh fueling the family disownment of this little girl it is horrible yeah so does it look like people magazine though is going to turn navy into a part of a heartwarming story somehow you know i don't know i mean people magazine is 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 one of the worst right because we always talk about cnn we always talk about msnbc this is um a gossip magazine that has really gone full propaganda for the regime. I mean, they were they even ran articles praising Jill Biden for her sense of style when they it looks like, you know, a a, a coat hanger, right? I mean, like, a, like these this crazy um, flowered look yeah. that could be a carpet, right? And they they do this kind of stuff all the time. If the Bidens need help with the story, if they need a good spin, if they need to make Jill or Biden look good, they go to People Magazine. It's one of the worst culprits in the media. Um, for for being in the hands of the Biden administration. We're talking to Avita Duffy Alfonso of The Federalist, uh, and she has a piece up about uh, Grandpa Joe here. So, Jill, as you said, she says it's not a political issue, it's a family issue. Um, You have to believe that the polls show Joe that he couldn't do it anymore, that it was time to recognize number seven. I mean, he, he, he 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 couldn't put it off anymore. He had to say something. Uh, yeah, and then that, that, that's that's absolutely what happened. And I also think there's there's definitely a demographic of people that suburban moms really who see this kind of thing, and maybe they don't like what happened with Roe v. Wade, and they're maybe inclined to vote for Biden in the future, um, as they did during the midterms. But see the way that he's treated his granddaughter, and are really turned off by that. I think there's a lot of people in that camp, especially women, um, who are going to be crucial 
to this next election. And so he's, he's really trying to backtrack, make himself look better, make the family look better. Um, and in my opinion, it's, it's too little too late, right? He hasn't reached out to Navy Roberts. He hasn't said she's going to be able to take his last name. Um, it, really, it's all about appearances. If yeah. he really cared, he would have reached out to her. And again, it's, it's, it's this Joe Biden has to be the family man as opposed to this uh, three times married billionaire playboy guy who talks about sexually assaulting women. That's that has to that has to be part of the campaign for them. Yeah, and I, and I also I also have to wonder, thinking about just who Hunter is as a person, maybe maybe is is, is better off not with the Biden. Yeah, I mean it's it's sad that that you know that Joe and Hunter aren't aren't going to be um, be good be good people in her lives, or I can invite her over Christmas, let her ride on Air Force One, or take the Biden last name. But this is a family embroiled in some serious crimes that the grandchildren are also implicated in. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe is, is better off on her own away from this family that has a lot of problems um, legally, morally, and otherwise. That's a good point. She's only four years old, but by the time she's old enough to understand who her, wh- where she came from, um, she may be in, uh, she may not want to be known as a Biden because Biden may be the name of the most corrupt president ever. That could happen. And that's not exactly something you want to run around, you know, being part of. It's seriously shaping up that way. I think people are really realizing um, how bad this is getting. The the, the news is coming out every day as this Biden bribery scandal heats up. We know it was a lie that that, uh, Biden had nothing to do with his son's business dealings. Um, We know that the the uh, Delaware prosecutor and then big tech um, were all colluding to memory hold the story and then also stop the IRS pro- uh, uh, investigation to Hunter before the 2020 election. There are so many things that are coming out that make this family look very, very bad. And I, I got to say, as, as sad as it is for Davy, I really do think she's probably better off on her own. Yeah. And uh, but can the polls get bad enough for Joe that we're going to see a photo up with Navy sitting on his knee? You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I a photo up, you know, it doesn't look like that. I, I think he, I think it could get to that point, but I really think that this is just a PR move. And I think that he's going to say, look, I acknowledge her. Any criticisms is, is baseless. I did my little PR statement in people magazine. Don't worry about it. He's going to flag all that away. And that was the point of this article mm-hmm. really is to have people magazine say, look on the record. I've acknowledged her. I have seven grandchildren. Get off my back. Yeah, make it um, go away. Going, yep. yep, him and the, and the rest of the administration are going to be referencing this for, for up until the next election. So uh, we're talking to Avita Duffy Alfonso of The Federalist. Uh, Avita, you wrote a nice piece, a good piece last week about Jason Aldean's song, and you tied it in. People know that what, he's, what he wrote about, I think, and, it, and what he's singing about. And it, it, you tied it in with your, uh, your coverage of the riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin, back in 2020. Could he have been writing about uh, Kenosha and what you got, what you saw there? He, he certainly could have been. I mean, Kenosha would have been the best example um, for what Aldine was talking about, right? If you, that, that might fly in the city, but try that in a small town. And um, Kenosha is a, a very, it's not a town, it's a small city, but, but very, um, has a lot of rural influences from Wisconsin. And when BLM rioters descended on that city, the people rose up. I mean, take, you know, don't, don't think about Kyle Rittenhouse 
I saw regular people outside of him, outside of their homes, outside of their businesses, with baseball bats and weapons, ready to defend themselves, even fire extinguishers, ready to defend themselves against these out-of-state uh, Marxist looters and rioters and arsonists. And I think that's a real something that people have to really understand and recall when we're talking about this song, because people on the left and right have said, oh, he's, he's, uh, he's inciting violence. This isn't the answer. We need to be positive. This is not the kind of song that the right should be promoting. And I say, as somebody who's seen the carnage in person, up close, sometimes it's necessary to defend yourself, especially when the state has abdicated its ability to do so. And in Kenosha, that was the case. They did not send enough um, state and federal law enforcement to protect the city. And so that meant that City Hall was protected and the school was protected, but regular people were not. And had they not stood up and defended themselves, they would have been uh, torched, their businesses torched, their homes looted. Uh, it would have gone very bad for them. And I would guess that uh, the song that Jason Aldean Jason wrote, uh, Try That in a Small Town, is a pretty big hit, hit in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin. Right. I mean, it's it, everywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm in rural Wisconsin right now. That's where I live. People have been really rallying around this song because it, it's highlighting a divide in values. And people used to have a lot of pride um, in, in America's big cities, in New York, in L.A., in Chicago. People in Wisconsin used to go to Chicago on the weekends and have a good time. And now the way that the left has made those cities descend into chaos and violence and crime makes us not proud of those areas anymore. Um, makes us want to have nothing to do with them and those uh, big city left-wing values um, and the way that they run themselves. And so I think that it's, it's a song that is a rallying cry for people who don't want to live that way and say, we're going to do things different. That's not the kind of values that we have. We're community-driven. We believe in the rule of law. Um, that's what Aldine was highlighting, and that's why I think it struck such a chord with so many people outside of the big cities. And... Um what what I don't know if you've been back or if you've looked into. I only have about thirty seconds left. But what's what's Kenosha like right now? They actually are still picking up the pieces. I mean, there were forty businesses that never reopened after the twenty twenty riots. Um, people lost their lives. People lost their livelihoods. They're picking up the pieces, but it's it is it is bleak, and that is a symbol of how of how bad things can get if you allow these rioters to descend on your city. Avita, I really appreciate you coming on the show. As always, hope to have you on again. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, that's Avita Duffy Alfonso, and I'll be right back. Well, back in uh, 1997, when I was writing a Saturday column for the Post-Gazette sports column, I started uh, one off with a one-word paragraph, and that was the word no. Uh, it was the Saturday before the Tuesday referendum on the two stadiums for the Pirates and the Steelers. It's one of my favorite columns because I was suggesting that people vote no. Of course, most people did vote no, and the stadium still got built anyway, which is kind of the way it happens in most cities. The Washington Commanders, formerly known as the Redskins, would like to have a new football stadium. Seems like politicians are tripping over themselves down there to steal the taxpayers' money to pay for that one. Barry Verluga is a columnist for the Washington Post, and he joins us now. Barry, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me. So how does the uh, stadium, how old is the uh, stadium the commanders are playing in now? 
So it's that same year, 1997, um, built with public funds in um, suburban D.C. in in the state of Maryland. Um, When the team was under different ownership of Jack Kent Cook and um, you, you, everybody kind of in town thought of it as this really unifying kind of force that brought a a city that's kind of inherently divided by, by politics together every Sunday. So we're, you know, more than a quarter century later, the the stadium has always been terrible. It's been an awful fan experience. We've endured the ownership of Daniel Snyder, which was, you know, somewhere between horrific and, and, um, miserable. Um, they've they've won one playoff game this, this, century and um the the franchise is just in a totally different standing um now with new ownership we've got three jurisdictions in virginia and and maryland and the district of columbia that could be put in position to bid against each other but we're really at the at the beginning phases of this so how is a republican congressman from kentucky a factor in all this it's interesting well it's a very very unusual set of circumstances so the the redskins uh, ben Redskins won three Super Bowl titles while playing at the old RFK Stadium, um, which is on the eastern edge of, of Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. That stadium, which still stands, but it needs to be torn down, it's nothing but an eyesore and it and has no function anymore, um, is on federally controlled land, actually land controlled by um, the National Park Service. So in order for the District of Columbia to, to get its hands on the land and use it for its own purposes, they have to make a deal with Congress to um, get control of the land. And that's where um, the Republican from Kentucky, Representative Comer, comes in last week with a bipartisan bill that has support from um, the districts. Uh, I mean, the politics down here is so weird. Everybody thinks that, oh, everybody has representation in Congress. Well, if you live, if you're one of the 800,000 people that live in the in the District of Columbia, you are represented by a non-voting um, member of com- Congress, and that is a Democrat, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who also backed this bill um, that would extend the lease for that RFK Stadium land and the land around it for 99 years and ostensibly allow the District of Columbia to work with the new ownership of the commanders and build the stadium um, there. I I would just say that it seemed to me that the the tracks were um, greased a little bit too quickly, and I I just wanted to pump the brakes on it and say, look, we don't know what the new ownership group is going to contribute in terms of private money. We have no idea how this would be funded, if in any way, from the taxpayers. There's a lot of wood to chop before um, a state, a new football stadium is built in the District of Columbia. Well, is the land where RFK, the old stadium you just described, where it sits now, is is that kind of considered hallowed ground because of you know who the Redskins were back then when they played there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anybody who's my age, um, in their you know 40s or 50s, and grew up in town here and has those memories of. Um, you know, being a teenager and going to that facility and the, the stands used to bounce there and seeing, you know, John Riggins and Dexter Manley and all those Hall of Famers, Daryl Green, Art Monk, Joe Theismann, et cetera, um, win those really important December games against marquee games against, uh, you know, division opponents, NFC East opponents, when the NFC East was kind of all, you know, giants, 
they're very, very attached to, to that site and that, and that stadium. Um, there are also some practical elements to it that it's like the, where it's situated makes it easy to get to from Virginia, from suburban Maryland and from the district itself. So um, I get that there's both a, a romantic and a, and a practical attachment to that plot of land. Um, but I don't know how you could pick any place for a new stadium before you know what the financing is going to be and, and who's paying for all of this. Well, it's Comer, Comer and, the, uh, and the other politicians selling the same thing that uh, politicians have been selling for 50 years, which is what they sold here when I said everybody should vote no, um, that the taxpayer should be happy to pay for it because of all the jobs it's going to create and you know the money that it will be uh, c- coming into the city. Same, are they, are they still selling that, and who's still buying it? Yeah, so that is still being sold, and I don't know if Comer is specifically selling it. I mean, he, they they could turn over um, the land, and it's it's not that big. Of, you know, if you're a, uh, a representative from Kentucky, what do you care yeah, right. um, about how the district residents use that plot of land? The mayor of the District of Columbia, Muriel Bowser, um, is absolutely touting that spot as a place for. Um, not just a football stadium, but mixed-use development that would revitalize that part of town. The argument against, and you can call any number of economists who will say, one, using public funds to um, support a private venture is is foolish. Two, if you do that, you're often just move, moving money and development from one area of town um, to another. So you're kind of uh, just shifting around financial logistics and and. It's important to note that um, Washington's basketball and hockey arena, which is right, right downtown and has been there almost the exact same amount of time, is in need of refurbishing. And that is a vital part of, of the Chinatown Gallery Place neighborhood. Um, so they have to concentrate on keeping those tenants down there before luring a new tenant, in my mind, to another part of town. Um, but again, we're not even at Nobody has proposed any financials around any of this. The ownership group of Josh Harris at all has been in place for 10 days or something. Um, this is a long game, not a short game, and I think it's important for everybody to kind of breathe about it. Yeah, how much did the, the new owners pay for the commanders? $6.05 billion. Is that all? So they could build, with what they paid for the stadium, or for the team, they could build probably two stadiums with it? Maybe three? Probably, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I, you said that they haven't come out yet and said that they think that the taxpayers should pay for the stadium, but um, I'm guessing that Daniel Snyder, the former owner, he must have walked away with a few billion after the sale? Oh, for, for sure. For sure. I mean, he was 100% owner by the end. He had bought, bought out his minority partners um, who were suing him. I mean, it was it was just a mess. And, I, you know, I'm not at all trying to be negative during a positive time here in town. I mean, there is a, yeah. a great deal of relief that, you know, I don't even think arguably, I think the worst owner in, in sports um, is somewhat miraculously out and out without being, quote, forced out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made a huge profit, but there's a lot of optimism that the, the kind of permanent impediment that was holding this franchise back has now been removed. And, you know, 
Josh Harris's greatest attribute at this point is nothing about Josh Harris. It's about not being Daniel Snyder. So that's a huge, huge thing. And that also changes the dynamics with the government, not only of Washington, D.C., but of Maryland and of Virginia. You now have somebody that people might be willing to work with and say, hey, this is what we could offer you in terms of infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Josh Harris has said, we don't know anything about what's going to happen with the stadium. They're very much starting with from ground zero. But it's inarguable that with Snyder, there were three jurisdictions that were saying, we're not interested in doing business with you. Now there may be three uh, jurisdictions yeah. that could say, hey, we're, we listen to what you have to say. And I think this is interesting, or it should be to people here in Pittsburgh, in this area, Western PA, because um, – what used to be Heinz Field and is now Acrisure Stadium, it's only three years older than the stadium that the Redskins can't wait to get out of. And they've they've been wanting to get out of it for a long time, too, right? Long, I mean, it hasn't been only in the last three years. So I, yeah. can, I can see it coming here. That uh, It's not going to well, be long I, before I would, there's going to be a new one here. It, it, I would say I might pump the brakes just a little bit on that and that this was always a, a bad... Um, you know, it was kind of done on the cheap from the start. I, I like Heinz Field. The yeah. time I've been there, it, it felt like a much better um, experience than, than FedEx Field has. People did not warm to um, the location uh, in in Prince George's County, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that uh, a combination of, um, like, we have been passed over here for things like World Cup soccer matches, even though this is a, a huge soccer area. Yeah. The Taylor Swift shows did not come here because the stadium is bad. I think when you're talking about the need for a stadium after 25 years, um, this is a, a kind of a uniquely bad situation and doesn't mean that all 25-year-old stadiums are, are out of date. Yeah, right. Well, here's the, here's the problem that you just mentioned those events coming here uh, to D.C. And, you know, you, that's one of the selling points for the owners of the team to say, look, if we had this stadium... Taylor Swift would have come here with her, her concerts and soccer and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the same thing is said here in Pittsburgh, and they, you know, they pack it for some concerts. But the only problem with it, that is that the Steelers get the revenue. That's who, they, they get a, a stadium handed to them, and then they get the revenue for the uh, special events they put on. And they sell that with the yeah. idea that, well, it brings a lot of money to the area, but it doesn't because all it does is move money that would have been spent in the North Hills, it comes downtown for the conf- con- uh, the concert, and the the restaurants and bars in the North Hills they don't have any people in them that night. So the other um, aspect of that that economists who study this stuff will tell you is that it makes a difference when it's an NFL stadium of you know pick a, pick a number sixty sixty five thousand people yeah. as opposed to you know the hockey arena or in our case, a hockey and basketball arena, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a football stadium at most is going to, you know, 25 or 30 dates a, a, a year. That seems like a high number given yep. 10 uh, NFL home games. When you consider the preseason, you know, that's a lot of yeah. um, concerts and soccer events to get in there. Whereas the, the arena downtown here in, in D.C., you start with 162 regular season NBA and NHL games and then grow from there. You're looking at, well north of 200 events, that is the kind of structure um, that can really drive consistent jobs and consistent revenue, whereas 
the economists will say it, it matters that um, that a, a, an NFL stadium is used so infrequently, just a fraction of the nights um, available a year. Yeah, here in Pittsburgh, um, the uh, the Penguins came up with an offer to pay for the uh, the new arena in exchange for being awarded. You know, they they made a bid for the the casino license, and they said we will use the profits from that to build uh, a new arena, which would have cost the taxpayers nothing. And what the the state did was award the uh, casino license to the worst applicant who went who went bankrupt and then spent 300 and some million on the Penguins uh, arena. So that's what happened here. They, these politicians, um, and we're talking to Barry Sprugla of uh, the Washington Post, um, this, is, this is everywhere, Barry. This is what happens. They lie about what the value that's going to be. And I don't blame, I don't know about you, but I don't blame the owners one bit. I don't, don't blame the Rooney family for one second. I blame the corrupt pol- and, and ignorant politicians. That's who I blame on these things. Well, and, and take Nashville as another as the latest example, and I don't know the specifics of this like I do D.C., but um, they down there, they knew how a vote would go for a new Titan stadium. So the, the idea was, let's not put this to a public vote. Let's let's um, they knew it would lose. You know, get the, they would lose the court of public opinion. Mm-hmm. But the politicians wanted it as kind of a backslapping. You know, this is on my watch. Yep. We'll we'll pass it off as, you know, um, an economic driver, which it, which it isn't. Um, in, in some sense, in the last 50 years, um, American cities and, and states have become addicted to um, providing taxpayer money for private professional sports teams. Um, and we've actually got it backwards. And we're going to have to kind of you know, learn how to stop smoking, learn how to get rid of that addiction so that um, the threat of a pro sports team leaving, which is often an idle threat, does not get, um, you know, taxpayers to, to foot the bill for what, you know, should be a, a private um, entity. So it's a, it's not unique to Washington. It's not unique no. to 2023. This has been going on forever. And, and there's, there's got to be some sort of end in sight. Well, is there any politician, uh, either local or federal, who has the guts to tell the commanders to pay for their own stadium? Well, I mean, we're we're going to find out. I mean, that's why I say we're very, very much in the early going here yeah. because no financials have been um, have been put up. I think the the mayor definitely wants this to be part of her legacy to be the the mayor who brought the football team. Um, back into Washington D.C. proper, um, but we'll see if the the um, state legislatures in Maryland and and Virginia say yeah we're willing to um, you know put up some money and work with the, with the team. I mean, when Snyder was the owner, the government governor of of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, tried to get five hundred thousand dollars passed to study whether they should pursue the stadium, and he couldn't even get the that money passed to do the study. So, Good. We'll see how much the environment has changed because Josh Harris owns the team and Dan Snyder doesn't. But we're, you know, we're on the five-yard line going 95 yards the other way. We, we have no idea how this is going to turn out. Hey, Barry, I'm out of time. Great column in the Washington Post. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, that's Barry Sverluga, and uh, we will be right back. Well, a little history uh, Going back to what Barry uh, Zvrugla 
It's S-V-R-U-G-L-A. I apologize. That's a tough one to, uh, to spit out there. But uh, just kind of following up on what he said uh, for a little history lesson, in case you've forgotten what happened here in Pittsburgh. And it's only it's already been, what, 23 years ago? Uh, 20, uh, 2001 was the first year, so I guess this is the 22nd year of um, Heinz Field, we'll call it, for, for the Steelers. And the Pirates got their ballpark too, and they're not going to be talking about getting a new one because that one's going to that can go another twenty, thirty years without being outdated. Although that doesn't mean they wouldn't try to get one if they could. But um, you know, back when the Steelers and the Pirates wanted their new stadiums, um, the they put the they put it up for a vote. Maybe you remember this. Um, maybe you don't remember the details, but I wrote about it in my book. Just watch the game, which you can find at Amazon. But um, the the stadium was um, proposed and voted on, and they put it to an actual official referendum, and the citizens of the several counties voted no. They didn't just vote no. They voted with a margin similar, actually worse than no one by a bigger margin than Ronald Reagan won over Walter Mondale in 1984. That's that's how much no won. It wasn't close. People did not want to see their tax dollars going to that. So they had RAD, the uh, I'm trying to think of what RAD stands for, but it was the organiz- you know the county organization um, that decides what to do with money, recreation money, uh, and the vote was taken there or was about to be taken. And they found, I think that there were seven people on the board. They needed to get six votes in order for it to pass. It couldn't. It wasn't going to just couldn't just pass. Uh, you know, four to three. It had to be six votes in order to pass. And they only had five. They only had five guys who were willing to vote yes. So what did they do? They kicked the vo- the guy off who was going to vote no. They kicked him off the board. So they hired. <laughs> They, I don't know how they hired. I forget how they selected the guy to, to come on and vote. He came on, and he voted yes, amazingly, and it passed. So even though, like, 40% of the uh, people in the in the area voted yes and 60% voted no, they built the stadiums anyway. And again, I don't blame the Steelers. I don't blame the Pirates. I blame the corrupt politicians who knew that the people did not want to have their tax dollars spent. And to this day, if you buy a $30,000 car in uh, Allegheny County, you pay 7%, $2,100. If you buy it in Washington County, you pay $1,800, 300 maybe not a big deal, but it comes out of your pocket, and it's all for the Pirates and the Steelers to have nice stadiums and have their teams increase in value by a ridiculous amount. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.